We are in our second message today on our series on 1 Peter. Uh, looking forward to what God is going to do um, just as we are in His Word together. So Nathan is going to bring the message today. Nathan is uh, one of the guys on our team of elders. Um, so if you want to please just pray with me as we pray for Nathan this morning. Lord, we thank you for um, Nathan's availability to serve you, Lord. We thank you for Nathan's passion for your word. And we pray this morning as Nathan brings your word to us and unpacks your word for us, we pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would do a mighty work in our hearts, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Good morning, One Hope. Um, my name is Nathan, one of the elders um, on this team. Married to Mandy, and we have two little girls. And uh, I don't want to out Mandy, but it was her birthday yesterday. So say happy birthday. Um, we are in a series in the book of 1 Peter. This is the second installment of that series. Uh, it's a 14 part series. And uh, last week, Gareth uh, took us through the first uh, two verses of the book of 1 Peter. And uh, our series is entitled Hope Filled Exiles hope and guidance for the age that we live in. And uh, a big theme in the book of one, on 1 Peter, if you've read it, or as you'll get to know as we go through it, is Peter describes Christians as these kind of misfits, like exiles or strangers, people in a foreign land in this uh, present age. And the Bible's very clear that as believers in this present age, this present age is not our home. But as believers, we're on a journey towards our future home, the new heavens and the new earth. And uh, Gareth last week unpacked this idea how, how Peter describes uh, the readers of the book of the initial readers of the book of Peter and, and us as well as these elect exiles that we're chosen by God and yet in, a, in the same kind of breath we're exiles in this earth. And the reason is that this is not our home, but God is preparing for us a new and glorious home, a home where He Himself dwells. God says, my child, I love you, you're called. And yet, as you are welcomed in, in Christ, it means that you will now fit out or stand out on the earth. You will not quite fit in. So our text this morning is, uh, it's 1 Peter 1 from verse 3 to verse 12, but it actually fits within a kind of a bit of a broader context uh, up until chapters 2, verse 10, and, and the key theme there is that we're called to salvation as exiles. We as believers, we're called to salvation as exiles, and we are to praise God for the promise of our salvation and live that salvation out in our daily lives. So you will see Peter kind of lifts up this, uh, an amazing picture of what our salvation is, what the future of it, what the future of our salvation holds, and then what that means for our lives now and what God's purposes are for it. So why don't you go with me to 1 Peter 1. We're going to be reading from verse 3 to 12. Peter says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, 
so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith and salvation of your souls. Concerning the salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what purpose or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which the angels long to look. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this book of 1 Peter. And Father, I ask that you would come and speak to us deeply this morning. I just felt such a sense this morning that you are wanting to, uh, even by the, by the infilling of your Holy Spirit this morning in specific people's lives, that you want to restore hope. You want to restore a fresh glimpse of the salvation that you've won for us. A fresh glimpse of our security that, you, that we have in you. A fresh glimpse of the purpose of this life towards the future goal of our salvation. And a fresh glimpse of your faithfulness as we look back at all the work that you've been doing throughout history. Generation after generation towards the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I pray, even as this, this passage kind of doesn't really have a, uh, you should go do this. But instead, Peter just describes what you do in our lives and, and the purpose in it and the result in it and the end goal in it. And I pray that as the word is, is preached, that through your spirit, the truth of it would be real in our lives this morning, King. Amen. So we see uh, this, in this picture, kind of Peter lifts up a picture of salvation for us. And this morning, I want to just show us three facets of the salvation that Peter describes. And the first one is Peter describes salvation's future goal. Secondly, salvation's present adversary. And thirdly, salvation's past glories. And Peter, in a sense, is doing this. He's, he's lifting up the wonder of our salvation and saying, look, look forward. Look at what this means for your future. And then understand what it means for you now as you live out your salvation in the world. And then look back. Look back at the glorious history of what God has been doing throughout the ages. So firstly, salvation's future goal. Uh, from verse 3, Peter says, Blessed be the God of our, and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. And I find it uh, quite beautiful that kind of before Peter does anything, before he actually kind of goes into what he's wanting to say, he starts off with praise. He closes the first two verses with kind of blessed be God. Praise God for what he's done, that he's made you an elect exile. And before he kind of opens up a little bit more of what our salvation is and what it means for our life, he says praise God. And it's this fascinating thing because he's going on to kind of describe what it means for us to be strangers on this earth, what it means for us to be exiles. And as I thought about it, I thought it's quite beautiful because in a sense, he says, come and taste of what home is like. 
before I tell you what it is like on this earth to be an exile. And if you, you, I think you would have felt it this morning. You're praising God. Did anybody feel closer to home? I know I felt closer to home. It's like, yes, Lord, I see you a little bit more clearly. I see the future that I'm going to have with you. So Peter's saying, you're children of God, exiles in this world. Come and taste of your father. Honor him because he has brought you near. And then Peter goes on in the second part of the verse to lift his, his readers up and to lift us up as we read the book now to kind of new and glorious heights in our understanding of the gospel. He says, according to his great mercy, he, God is the active agent, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Peter's lifting us up above life's difficult circumstances. If you remember the context of the book, Peter's writing to uh, exiles in that time, and they're, they're, they're the exiles of the dispersion. So there would have been a, a, a people who are struggling, who feel like they're not quite at home, who feel like they're stuck in a foreign land. And Peter says, yet you have hope. You have a, a, a wonderful hope which is grounded in truth. And it is the great mercy of God that you have been born again. And Peter, in a sense, is saying this is the remedy for this homesickness that you feel, is that you have a living hope in God, a living hope which is found only in the resurrection of Jesus. So Peter is lifting our eyes up and says, look to Jesus. Look to the one who voluntarily left his home and went to a foreign land descending into this exile-type existence so that we could be reunited to the Father, the one who was scorned, mocked, and killed, the king who was brought low and then lifted high, raised from the dead and then ascended into heaven. In him we have hope. This is the life that we're born into. Jesus willingly bore the separation from God so that we could be reunited to the Father. Peter says, regain hope with a fresh glimpse of Christ. He says, you may feel mistreated or homesick or like you don't quite fit in, but have hope in Christ for we have a glorious future. And he describes it as a living hope. It's not fading. It's not waning. It's not growing weak. The hope that we have is as alive as our Savior is in heaven. And we see Peter going on in verse 4, he, he goes on to describe what the hope is that we have and what the future reality of our salvation is. Uh, from verse 3, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And look at this glimpse of the future reality of our salvation to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for our salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And the Landman brothers, um, they actually preached on this text at the end of last year, so I really want to encourage you to go listen to it. And I'm just wanting to kind of build on, there's one of them, build on uh, some of the foundations that they Laid. So we see Peter describes this future reality as imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. And it's quite fascinating when you think about Peter, as he comes to describe what the future reality will be, instead of de describing what it is, he actually describes what it isn't. 
It's like it's so amazing that I can't actually tell you what it is, but I'm going to tell you what it isn't. He says it's imperishable. The future reality is one which will never perish. That in Christ we do not have a finite future. The future that we have in God, the future, the resurrection secured for us is an eternal future. Secondly, it's undefiled, it's pure, spotless. A place where sin would be no more. You get this image actually that, that, that Jesus, the undefiled one, the lamb who was worthy, secured a future for us which will be undefiled. R. Kent Hughes says this, Jesus the undefiled, through him alone, are we able to enter into God's presence and receive an inheritance as glorious as the one Peter calls undefiled. And thirdly, the future reality of our salvation is unfading. And in this world, we, we're very accustomed to decay and fade. Our bodies, as I'm kind of growing to know more and more about, uh, stop growing up and they start growing down. Gravity tends to take over. And uh, we see that the world, in fact, is subject to decay. You know, fe- uh, species that are kind of going into extinction. But our hope is in a future which will not be subject to the same experience. And our bodies which are perishing when they one day rise and are reunited with Christ, we will be made incorruptible forever. Peter says this is an inheritance that awaits all who are in Christ. Peter says look up, look forward, look ahead. There is a wonderful future which awaits you. And it's stunning how Peter, as he goes on, he doesn't just leave us there. He doesn't just kind of say, look at this amazing picture. You know, look what God is wanting to do for you. And you're left with the sense like, flip, that's amazing. But like, how am I going to get there? You know, I hope that I can hold on. I hope that I can endure. Peter goes on in verse 5 to assure us that what God has, what God has promised rests assured. In verse 4, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. And look at verse 5, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for our salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. So there's two amazing things that Peter is saying here. The one is that the inheritance is secure. The inheritance is going nowhere. It's not like stocks in some company that's going to drop off at some point. This this is a secure inheritance. And on the other hand, he's saying, not only is your inheritance secure, but actually I'm going to keep you secure so that you will one day see it. Peter says, we are being guarded through faith for it. And the first time this this really struck me, I was like, what what is this? What is this saying? What is Peter, Peter really saying here? And he's saying that the inheritance is being kept for you by the power of God. Nothing can shake it loose from those who are in Christ. And not only that, but you're being kept for it. It is being kept for you, and you are being kept for it. So Peter says there's a wonderful future which awaits, and that future is secure. Both the future itself and your position in that future is secure if you are in Christ. And you can imagine the, the hope which would have filled the initial kind of readers of the book of Peter people who were maybe running kind of, they were quite spiritually tired. They found the favor of God and yet they faced like serious persecution. Quite spiritually tired. And you can imagine the hope which fills their hearts as they read this passage and say, wow, no, actually God's going to sustain me. 
for the future that he has for me. And perhaps you've felt that. Perhaps you've been there. Perhaps you felt like you're struggling. You know, maybe God's forgotten me. Like, I thought I was your child, but why do I feel so alone? Why do I feel so misunderstood or mistreated? Why do I feel like you've forgotten me? And Peter, knowing their discouragement, and in fact, in a way, knowing ours, and the discouragement which would face all believers' rights of a future salvation, and says, look up, look ahead to Jesus. Look at the living hope that you have in Jesus. And look at the security that God has secured you for that future Peter says, be filled with hope, for God has not forgotten you. That in fact, it is the exact opposite. He's preparing a place for you which is more wonderful than words, and yet at the same time he is securing you so that you will get to that place. And this is the wonderful doctrine of the, the perseverance or the preservation of the saints. In Philippians 1.6, Paul says this, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And I pray that fills us up this morning with hope. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. This future inheritance Peter describes is being kept at secure, and at the same time, God is keeping you for it. That your salvation is secure in Jesus. So firstly, we see salvation's future goal, this, this wonderful picture of what our future salvation is, and secondly, Peter goes on to describe salvation's present trials, this, this kind of second facet of salvation in our lives. It's 1 Peter 1, verse 6 to 9. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So Peter says, look at this future reality which awaits, the joy of your future in Jesus. And yet now in this life, if necessary, in a place which is not your home, you will face trials. Chosen by God, it's this, this kind of like uh, seemingly contradiction. Chosen by God and yet rejected by the world. But in this experience, in fact, we align ourselves with the experience of Jesus. The one who was chosen by God and rejected by the world. And, and Peter holds these two things together. They're not in, in opposition. In fact, they serve the same purpose. We see Peter going on to describe both kind of joy and sorrow in the same sentence. And then we see this too, as Paul the Apostle says this to the believers in Rome, in Romans 8, 16 to 17. He says, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. How amazing is that? God's Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided that we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. He says this to the church in Corinth, uh, 2 Corinthians 4, 17 to 18. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. 
And notice Paul's words there. These afflictions prepare for us. They are part of the preparation work for the eternal weights of glory, which will be beyond all comparison. Paul is saying that the, the, the eternal weight of glory, the weights of the glory that we all experience will far outweigh anything you've ever experienced on the earth. And this truth seems to stand up against some of the kind of common Christian views, some of them which we adopt even if we aren't really kind of trying to, and it's, it's that if we face trial, if we face any kind of hardship, then the favor of God must not be upon us. Have you ever felt that? Have you ever felt if you're going through something hard that God must have forgotten you? And I definitely have felt that. And I know many people in our community who are facing trials right now, and it's not easy. In fact, it's sometimes unbearable. But Peter is saying to us this morning, God has not left you. Peter says, in fact, it's the exact opposite. If you're persecuted for your faith, if you have faced trial, God has deemed it necessary. And in fact, it's a sign that you're a son. And the sufferings of the Father are full of purpose. Peter says later in chapter 419, therefore let those who suffer according to, the will, to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Peter says our, our sufferings are full of purpose for they are according to the will of God our God who is a faithful creator. That our sufferings are used to prepare us for an eternal weight of glory. And this should fill our hearts with hope, understanding that sufferings and the trials that we face are part and parcel of the purposes of God in our lives. But it is important to know that Peter has specific trials in mind. Peter's not talking about, you know, consequences of sin. You know, these trials that we face as a consequence of sin. Even though Paul in Romans 8 does say that God even turns those things for good. But I want to show us some key things that Peter has in mind. And when we look kind of to the broader use of that word that Peter uses there for trial, in the rest of the New Testament we see it's, it's kind of predominantly used to describe four key Things. In Hebrews 3, it describes being without a sense of permanence in the world or position or power. In Luke 8, it describes those who are recipients of, of verbal and physical persecution. In Galatians 4, it describes people who are struggling with pain at the loss or the, the decay of loved ones. And in Matthew 6, we see this word used to describe dark moments in our lives where God calls us to fend off the prowling attacks of Satan. And I'm sure we've experienced these trials in our lives, this overarching sense of kind of homesickness or you don't quite fit in, persecution because of your faith, attacks on our faith from Satan and, and this specific trial I've faced in my own life after the, after the past few years in a significant way, a relentless attack on my own faith and calling and sonship. Or perhaps you're facing the trial of dealing with loss or the decay of loved ones. And Peter says to us this morning that those trials that we face are necessary for us because they are serving a purpose. That God in love saw the attack that I've been facing as necessary for me to face because it's serving a purpose. That God in love saw the trials that you might be facing this morning as necessary for you to face because they're serving a purpose. 
a purpose. So we can ask then, what are the purposes, Peter? What are the purposes that God has for suffering? Like, what could be worth the suffering? Why do you deem them necessary? And Peter goes on in verse 7. Well, let's read from verse 6. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. In verse 7, we see the picture of the purposes of God. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So Peter says, trials prove the genuineness of our faith. What is the purpose of God in our trials? It is to prove the genuineness of our faith. That trials are the proving ground of our faith. Uh, John Rippon, who led a church in London before Charles Spurgeon took over, he describes this, the, the purifying process of gold in this way. He says, When through the fiery trials thy pathway shall lie, my grace, all sufficient, shall be thy supply. The flame shall not hurt thee, I only design, thy dross to consume and thy gold to refine. So in the same way that gold is, is purified, like literally having its impurities burnt off of it, so too our faith is purified. So too our faith through the testings of trial is purified. Peter says, may joy arise in your hearts as you face trials in your life because they're producing within you the outcome of your faith. Nothing less than the salvation of your souls. And there's an astounding link that I wanna, want us to see here this morning. Is that, you know, Peter starts by lifting up the future salvation. He's saying, look at this, the glory of your salvation. Look at this wonderful picture of your salvation that is secure. And he goes on to describe how we are being guarded through faith for that end salvation. We guard it through faith. We are secure, kept by God through faith. And here Peter says, hey, hey your trials are full of purpose. In fact, your trials produce, through the power of God, the very faith that will sustain you until the end. You see the link there? That our trials are part and parcel of what it means for God to guard us through faith. They're part and parcel of what it means to become a people of God. We see this in the book of Zechariah, Zechariah 13.9 says, and I will put this third into the fire and refine them as one refined silver and test them as gold is tested. And they will call upon my name and I will answer them. I will say they are my people and they will say the Lord is my God. So in the wisdom and mercy of God, he is proving our faith, strengthening our faith, purifying our faith through the trials that we face. And this is the pattern of the Christian life, just as it was the pattern of Jesus and the glory that followed him. Our Father's desires for our faith to grow, to be genuine and pure. And our faith is kept by the Father, and that keeping is at times worked out through trials. 2 Corinthians 4.17, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. The affliction is being used by God to prepare us 
for an eternal weight of glory. Now, it's fascinating to think that, that, that Peter is not just kind of, you know, he's not just kind of thumb-sucking this out, or he's not just kind of bringing a, a word he heard somewhere, somehow, but in fact that Peter experienced this in his very own life. Peter experienced God working in his life in this way. We see in Luke 22, remember Jesus' words to Peter in Luke 22. It says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Jesus says a, a trial is coming. The sifting of Satan is coming for you. His heart is that your faith will fail. But I'm going to use it to strengthen your faith. I'm going to use it like a furnace to purify your faith, to prove it to be genuine, and I'm going to use it to sustain you. I will ensure that your faith will not fail because I'm going to pray for you. I'll sustain your faith amidst the sifting of Satan. And remember, this was even through a blatant denial of Jesus. Jesus says, I'm going to sustain you even through the blatant denial of me. You're going to deny me three times, and I'm going to restore you to strength. And it's fascinating because when you look at what Jesus said before this, he's saying that you will one day rule with me in Luke 22, 28 to 30. He says, you are those, he says this to his disciples, you are those who have stayed with me in my trials. And I assign to you as my father assigned to me a kingdom that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones drudging the 12 tribes of Israel. That Jesus is saying, I have, a, I have a glorious future for you, and this is part of the way that you get there. That I will sustain you through this strengthening. So Peter knew from first-hand experience that God works in this way, that trials are a tool in the hands of God for the future goal of salvation. That the sufferings that we face are producing in us, through the power of God, the faith that will sustain us to the end for that wonderful future home that God has, face to face with the Father. And I really felt such a sense as I was praying yesterday that for some of us, and I felt God speak to me personally through this, is that the thing that's in your life that you think might be getting in the way of your faith, God may be using it to strengthen your faith. It may be the very thing that he's using to strengthen and purify and sustain your faith. So how do we respond? Kent Hughes says, without a deep and abiding trust in God's word, we will try to flee our trials at all costs and miss out on the very lessons God has for us. And this is our default response. You know, we face some kind of trial and we're like, how do I get out of this? How do I get rid of this? How do I escape this? And I know this is my default response. It's, Father, take me out of this thing. It's not nice. But if we do that, we miss out on all that God has for it. So the question then is not how do I get out, but how is God moving towards me and what might his purposes be in it? Remember, God uses our sufferings to assist us in, a, in obtaining the outcome of our faith, the very salvation of our souls. So our willingness then as Christians to endure earthly affliction, afflictions is a lot about our trust in God. Because he's fashioning us into praiseworthy and honorable vessels for his glory. And then lastly, salvation's past glories. Uh, Peter closes a section by looking back. 
at, at kind of a third facet of our salvation uh, from verse 10 to 12. He says, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what, what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Things into which the angels long to look. Isn't that amazing? The prophets' messages in the Old Testament, Peter says, was not primarily for them, but for you. It was looking forward to the, the fullness of the gospel which would be revealed. Preachers who have served for generations and generations were carrying a message that would one day get to us, or get to the readers of this book initially and then to us. And Peter goes on, this message, the gospel that proclaimed, was so amazing that the angels in heaven stood on the tip of their toes in a way, longing to look into what God was doing, longing to see the fullness of it revealed. That the angels would like nothing better than to gaze into what God has done for us. And, and this is an, an amazing picture of the love of God, and I think some of it is lost on our kind of modern ears because we don't know all the context there, but for the initial readers, this would have been astounding. Hearing that the prophets of old, the words that they brought was not primarily for them, but actually for us. And that exalted angels stood in service to the salvation that the joyful, oh, the fullness of salvation has been the joyful business of God's servants over the centuries. And, and Peter's heart is that a hope would, would rise for future glory awaits. Present trials are full of purpose. God has been about this mission and faithful to this gospel for all of history. So what is it that Peter is wanting to give us this morning? Peter is wanting to give us gospel power. Gospel power to live in the purposes of God. Peter's saying, trust your father. Look to the future that he has for you. He has secured it through his son. And generation after generation have been serving this end. Lift your eyes, Peter says, wandering exile. Lift your eyes, suffering son. Look to the one who sympathizes and who sustains you. Look to Jesus, for in him we have an eternal hope. And what we face now serves that future. Father God, we thank you for your word. I ask, King, that you would come and speak to us. Even this morning, may your spirit come upon us, Father God. Open our eyes afresh to the wonder of the gospel. The wonder of the gospel and your work in our lives, Father, and I, I even just want to take a moment to pray for that specific man that Warren uh, brought up. Father, would you break those chains in the name of Jesus? Break those chains even now in the name of Jesus. Freedom. That that man can sing, free, I am free. Forever I am free. Because of your work, Jesus. I want to pray for those of us in the room who are struggling with attacks of Satan or, or various trials, Father. And I pray this, mor this morning that we would have a restored hope in you. That you haven't forgotten about us. Our, our, our sufferings are not purposeless. They're full of purpose. In fact, they're being used by you as the very thing which can sustain us. 
the very thing which can strengthen our faith, prove it to be genuine, purify it, and sustain us to the end. Father, we as a people come and say, Father, we trust you. We trust your work in our lives, and we long for the eternal future that we have for you and with you. Amen.